So first of all, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, this is Joshua speaking. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether those gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, says God's leader Joshua, we will serve the Lord. And then Mark 1, this is the very beginning of Gospel of Mark and Jesus' ministry just as it starting and we're seeing the transition from John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, to Jesus here in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, it's, that's Peter, And his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Jebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. So we're going to talk about the church this morning, and and when we do that, uh, one something interesting to do is to think about when did the church begin? When is the when was the start of the church? How far back does it go? You might choose that passage in Mark, there in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus started calling his disciples. You might choose Abraham, where God called Abraham and Sarah, and, and they developed and grew into the nation of Israel. I tend to agree with those who say that the church started at the very beginning of the world. Lord's Day 21 of our Heidelberg Catechism says, This, the church is a community that God is gathering, protecting, and preserving for himself from the beginning of the world to its end. From the beginning of of the world. So as soon as Adam was created, there was the church, God's chosen child. Next week, uh, the Lord willing, on Mother's Day, we're going to look at marriage, biblically speaking, as uh, we end this series on the impact of Jesus. And what this means is that marriage is not the most ancient institution in history. The church is. So what we're talking about today, what, what you're part of, this, this ain't no fly-by-night operation or startup. From the beginning of the world, I believe, with our Reformed Confessions on the Bible. In the book, Who is This Man?, John Ortberg starts out his discussion of the church with 
Jesus calling his disciples. And we read that in Mark 1, Jesus saw two fishermen, Simon and Andrew. He said, come follow me. They left their fishing nets, followed him. He did the same thing with John and James. He called. He called and they came. In New Testament times, teachers like Jesus were called rabbis, and they had followers or disciples, but it was highly unusual that Jesus went out and recruited his own disciples. Usually, disciples reached out to the rabbi. I'm absolutely certain it went this way with Jesus because of what the Bible tells us again and again about our salvation and how God's people are gathered. And it's by God's sovereign grace. God takes the first step. We are dead in our sins, says Ephesians 2.1. Dead people can't reach God. We need the Lord to make us alive. The Greek word for church, and remember the New Testament was written in Greek, it's ekklesia. And it's used over a hundred times in the Bible. It literally means the ones called out. So who are we? How would you define the church? Are we a club of political conservatives? I have just a hunch there may be a few of us here who tend toward the conservative side in politics. I think that might be right. But that's not who we are. Are we a group seeking justice and mercy and serving those in need? Well, that's part of what we do, but being sort of a social justice agent is not what defines us. We hear sermons, we read God's word, we have classes, yes, but we're not really an educational institution either, primarily. There's, that's an important part learning and growing in the Word, but we're not an educational institution. What defines the church especially is that we are the ones called by God. Another word that gets at this is the word election, another biblical word. Our high school students, and I'm impressed that Kelly has tackled this the last couple Sunday nights, they've been talking about election. You might think, why talk about something that's so tough and potentially complicated? Well, it's because it's, it's actually at the very heart of who we are and what we are. This is what the church is, the ecclesia, God's chosen ones, the called ones. It's at the very heart of who we are and what we're about. Jesus chose the 12 disciples who were the foundation of the New Testament church as God chose the 12 tribes of the Old Testament church, Israel. He didn't do that. He didn't choose Israel because they were any better than anybody else or because they were so special in themselves. He chose them out of his grace, and he chose them for a purpose. God chose Israel for the world, to be a light to the nations. And he chooses and he calls his people today, too, for the world, to reach the world. Election doesn't have to do with how great we are. Instead, it's a call to great thankfulness. And it's a constant reminder not to be an exclusive club or, or arrogant that we're so great because we know 
that if we can belong to Jesus, each one of us with all our junk and all our sin, and you know what I'm talking about, well, if you and I can be part of the family of God, then anybody can be part of the family of God. That's the message of grace that we have to share. We're privileged to share. Of course, each one of you here chose, if you remember here, you chose to join this church, and each one of you chose to be here this morning. But in the big scheme of things, what the idea of being called by God means is that our desire to know the Lord and be with his people, that's a desire that he first worked in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He called us, and he continues to call us. In our text from the Old Testament, Joshua has reminded God's people of all that God had done, how he led them into this land of promise, though they were a ragtag group. He gave them victory after victory. And then at the end of Joshua's reminder of God's grace, God's leader leads by committing to the Lord with his household, and he calls the people to commit to the Lord too. God calls us, yes, that doesn't result in nothing for us to do, but it naturally leads to our calling, our responsibility, right? Our commitment. Baptism reminds us that the relationship between God and his people is a covenant. And in Joshua, we have what's called a covenant renewal ceremony. And those are where God's people are reminded of their relationship to the Lord, of God's faithfulness to us, of our calling to be faithful to him. We need these reminders because we have the tendency to wander, to be complacent about our relationship with God. Basically, every single worship service is a covenant renewal ceremony. I'm going to covenant renewal ceremony this morning. Our primary focus is our God and what he's done in Jesus, and then we give back. We dedicate our life to him, right? That's what covenant renewal is. There are very special times of covenant renewal, like in baptism, Ryan and Jessica and we together, standing on God's promises in his sure calling, we commit our lives to him and we commit our children to him. I believe God is calling us to examine and renew our commitment to him and his people this morning in a special way. And that's what I want us to think about for a little bit. In light of God's calling us, will we say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord? Will we say it? Will we do it together as a church And to think about that, I want us to look at those three E's of our mission statement in just a a little different way to make it more personal. I I want you to open up your heart to the Spirit of God this morning and ask, how is it going with me and my house and our service to the Lord anyway? I want us to ask it, especially as we are part of this household of faith together, Faith CRC. Our first E, we're going to spend the most time talking about this, it's experience God's word. We especially are referring to preaching here, but also to 
any growth in God's words through our many ministries like children's church, like Sunday school and catechism, all our Bible studies for men and for women, our small groups. But we believe there's something special about preaching. It's because of a verse like Romans 10, 14. How can people call on the one they have not believed in And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So faith comes, faith, we want to grow in faith. Faith comes from hearing, especially. Hearing comes from someone preaching, according to Romans 10. That's the priority the Bible puts on preaching for the Christian life. I'm not saying it. The Bible is saying it. Something special goes on there to build up our faith in a special way, like nothing else in this world. This is why preaching is central to our worship services at faith. This is why we don't want to let anything push it aside or cramp it out. This is why our elders remain committed to faith's pastors preparing two messages every week morning and evening worship. It's because we believe and trust God's word that there is no better way to hear the Lord and grow in faith than through hearing God's word faithfully proclaimed. So back to the question, how am I experiencing God's word? One piece of this, I'm going to talk about two parts. One piece of this is talking about our attitude when we listen, when you come to worship. Pastor Matthew and I have some responsibility here in this area of preaching, no doubt, and we're accountable to our elders. Every meeting, we talk about our work. We also have an annual evaluation process, and we're accountable to each and every one of you, each and every worship service. More important than that, we are accountable to God. And as your pastors, we take that seriously. But each one of us is called to take responsibility. Preaching isn't a passive thing where someone plops down, folds their arms, and that's it. No. Instead, we come trusting, believing what God's Word says about how He uses preaching to make you a stronger Christian. And so we come with open hearts, eager about this special moment God designed to intersect with our lives right where we are and change us through his word. We come with anticipation, rejoicing, excitement to every worship service where we sing these great songs of the faith packed with the great truths of God's word. And we get to pray together and and see one another, brothers and sisters, going through life together and and cheerfully give of all God has given us and all of it leading up to hearing God's word for our lives today. The other piece of how we are experiencing God's word that we need to talk about this morning is our commitment to being in worship. There's a book out, very recent book, Uh, called Crazy Busy by uh, Reverend Kevin DeYoung. It's really good. It's also quite brief for everyone who is crazy busy. It won't take you a long time to read it. 
The reality is we are crazy busy. Things get squeezed out of our lives as other stuff gets added. But friends, worship is not something to let get squeezed. Worship has to be a priority. None of the statistics are good. While there are churches thriving in our country, certainly in all churches, small, large, in between, thriving or not, on average, Christians are attending worship services less than they used to. The average, they say, in the country is two services attended a month by committed Christians. I think on average, we're doing quite a bit better than that here at Faith, and I'm really thankful for that. But there's no question in my mind that church members are in church less on average than in years past. I want you to think about 25 years ago and how often maybe you, if you had a family or were in a family growing up, went to worship. And then think about yourself, again, a family if you have one, and worship today. If that attendance from 25 years ago to now has held steady, praise God, maybe it's even increased because you're a first-generation believer and with your household you're starting fresh, well, praise God even more. But if it's decreased... This is your overall worship attendance week by week, month by month. If it's decreased, I want you to think about 10 years down the road in the next generation. Where do we think this is going to lead? To more commitment or to less? I can't imagine lessening commitment is going to lead to greater commitment down the road. If, if the average Worship attendance for Christians in this country is twice a month. What's it going to look like in 50 years? What's it going to look like in 25 years? Are our kids going to be even attending? Now is the time to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now is the time to stop the trend around us and say, not on my watch are we going to continue this, pulling ourselves away bit by bit, gradually, so it doesn't hurt so much, pulling ourselves away from the very best place to grow in our faith. There's nothing against good Christian books, listening to some great preachers online, small groups, service projects, all these other wonderful opportunities, and I think there are more opportunities than ever today to grow in faith, but none of that will replace or can replace public worship with God's people. Nothing. Even in our crazy busy lives, we manage to do the things that we will make a priority. We don't too often miss the big game or TV shows or movies we want to see. In other words, we have the ability to make worship a priority. We have two worship services every Sunday at Faith, my challenge to you, if you're not already doing this, is to take the bold step of organizing your life in such a way that you are in worship weekly. To take it up a notch, I would highly recommend being at both. You will be blessed. And then after we make public worship a priority, then we see where God is calling us in terms of everything else in our lives and even other spiritual growth commitments. There are unique work schedules. 
great challenges and all the rest. And I really believe that God provides grace and love for those situations where it seems impossible. But with this both Sunday a.m. and Sunday p.m. options at our church, I think the vast majority of us should be able to do better than the trends and commit to the weekly gathering of God's people together in the church. Expressing God's love is another priority, our second E, a calling for us as a church. We express God's love to one another. We express God's love especially to those in need. We express it to those outside our church, in our community and neighborhoods and worldwide. I had a great little conversation with someone this week who loves our church, and he said, just a little bit out of the blue, I think a great goal for our church would be that we would be a church that loves everyone we meet, that if we would just focus on that, that we are caring, that we accept people, that we welcome them in. And I agree, what a great goal. So how about this expressing God's love? How about that part of welcoming them in? for this morning, just to focus on one thing. When, when people do come to our church, and I'm talking about worship especially, but also small groups. I know we've had guests at that, at that craft night and, and all sorts of other, other opportunities. When people do come, we welcome them, I think, when they happen to come in. But how about inviting people in doing a little better job of that, loving people enough to make that invitation. When's the last time that you invited someone to Faith Church? Have you ever tried? Do you think they would just hate it? Do you think they would not enjoy worship with God's people? I've heard person after person, family after family, say how when they first started coming to Faith Church, how much faith, love them, and receive them. This is a safe and good place to invite people. I think sometimes we think, well, it's going to be awkward for non-Christians to sing these hymns and hear a sermon and sit there and everything else we do, but I mean, what else do you want to do? I mean, do you want to change up worship so that's more similar to a movie or, or some sort of a show or, or something else that people would be able to just get from the world? Of course not. Anyone would expect the church to be different from what they're used to in life. It's got to be. And it's because we got something different and better than any of the other things the world has to offer. We've got the love of God in Jesus. So, of course, it's going to feel a little different if someone has never been to worship or been in a small group. But if they come, you know, one thing I'm convinced of, no one, no one us, no one in this church... We're going to love them. We're going to accept them. And people will come in if the people of this church love people enough to invite them in. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're scared of. Maybe we're not scared. I mean, I know, I know many of you pretty well. I know this. I know you're not shy. I mean, this, this is Chicago. We like to chat with people and shoot the breeze, strike up a kind of, well, 
shoot the breeze, strike up a conversation like so many of us are good at, and talk about Jesus. Tell them about this great place here at Faith where, where we're getting to know him more with all these other great people. Third E, we don't really have time for. Um, it's equipped for service. Uh, we want to be equipped for service, and we think about serving in the church, serving in our day-to-day lives. We think about stewardship, right, of our time, our talents, our, our money. So we might ask, how am I serving? How is uh, stewardship in, in the big scheme of things? You know, stewardship, a lot of times you'll stewardship money. It's not just money. It's money. It's everything we have, our time, our talents. How, how am I, I doing to make it personal? How am I being equipped? And so I don't want you to, I hope you're not seeing this as a beating over the head. I don't think you do. I want to say that to make sure. God has done the work of salvation. Amen? Yes. Grace alone. Nothing we do. But then we are called to committed lives. We're called to say, as for me and my house, we will serve this amazing God. And this is our house together. Faith Church, right? So how is our commitment? How is your commitment? The people of Israel had this rousing response in Joshua's day. But they failed. They did not carry through, it seems to have faded out this commitment, even in that very generation. Certainly by the next generation it was gone. And because of that, that's why Jesus needed to come, because God's people couldn't do it on their own. Jesus came to commit to God perfectly through his atoning work. And then Jesus covers all our failures through the cross and resurrection. Then, through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sent after he ascended, through his power, through his strength, through his successful commitment, in him, we can succeed. We can do this despite our weaknesses, despite our lackluster commitments, lack of willpower at times to the Lord and to his ways in our lives and to his church. In Jesus, there is always a new opportunity, a new chance, a new day. There is strength in him to keep the commitment there. We have so much going for us as a church. We have awesome people. We have caring people. I think by God's grace, wonderful worship. We've got financial stability. You know, I think it's disappointing to our leaders, and I'm sure to you too, that that year after year, we, we kind of run behind on the budget as the year goes on. And then we have to make that up at year's end. It would be ideal to keep that up week by week. Your, your leaders really feel that. But we have tremendous financial stability. Every need that comes up and that is communicated to our congregation has been met and remember this, this past season, we met that tremendous need on that special night with the Gettys. Remember that? And you know what? That was tens of thousands of dollars. 
it didn't even negatively impact our budget giving. Our budget giving has been up compared to a year ago, even with that huge commitment. But that's what God can do when his people respond in faith to needs and respond to his grace. And so, so we praise God for all of this. I could talk about so much more God's doing in our church. What will we continue to do with all of this? I think the sky is the limit. I think in the end, we are going to do as much as each one of us is willing to do and commit. Because that's how the church works. Your pastors, our youth director, elders and deacons have great responsibility. But what's part of the church being different than a business where you pay people to do stuff, the church is totally unique. It's not a spectator sport. Though sometimes we can be lulled into making it out to be. It's not. You know, we can kind of be lulled. Let's, let's come to church and, and we'll watch the professionals. Well, the church isn't like watching the Blackhawks. The church is different. The leaders are to equip everyone to do the works of ministry, says Ephesians. Everyone's involved. Everybody's on the ice. You know, and you might think, what difference can I make? Who am I? I'll tell you who you are. You are one called of God. You are loved by God to live for him, to be part of his kingdom and, and mission right here today at Faith Church. And, and what that means is that in the end, we will do as much as each one of us is willing to do. Being here in worship, Engaging in ministries and service, inviting others in, giving. When you see needs, jump in, fill them. When you have ideas, share them, go for it. God has done the work of salvation. He calls us now to live lives of, of grateful commitment in our homes, all of us together here at Faith. And like I said, I really believe the sky is the limit. I've been here long enough to, to see and know who we are, where God has blessed us and how. I see committed people. I see caring people. I see humble people. And with all due humility, I believe with all my heart that Faith CRC is the best kept secret in this town. And I believe with all my heart that God can do a whole lot with a church like ours, with the people that know their God, Put him first, depend on his sovereign grace alone, and then in thankfulness for our incredible, glorious God, we dedicate our all to him. Our hearts, our homes, and this house of faith. God is doing wonderful things in our midst. What more might he do? I'm excited to see years ahead and right now. 